Welcome to Cleveland Clinic Cardiac Consult, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. My name is Natalie Salvatore. I'm a registered nurse at the Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic, and I'm joined today by Dr. Alex Bribriesco. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Alex Bribriesco. I'm one of the staff thoracic surgeons here at Main Campus Cleveland Clinic. I'm an assistant professor of surgery at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine at Case Western Reserve University, and I'm also a staff physician surgeon at our uh, Cleveland VA Medical Center. It's a pleasure to be here to discuss uh, pneumothorax with you. We all know pneumothorax, but what are the different types of it? What what distinguishes one from another? Great. So, no, it's a, a very important question. And so when you kind of break down uh, pneumothorax, it's good to think about it either as spontaneous or traumatic pneumothorax. With uh, traumatic pneumothorax, it's pretty straightforward. There's an event that happened, a, a trauma, an accident, uh, a central line insertion, something that is clear what injured the lung or the pleura that created the pneumothorax. But sort of the focus of this particular talk, I think would be good to do on the other part, the spontaneous pneumothorax, or it's unclear why the patient developed the pneumothorax, at least initially. So when I think about spontaneous pneumothorax, as, as most people might, you split it up into primary spontaneous pneumothorax and secondary spontaneous pneumothorax. With primary spontaneous pneumothorax, those are, are people and patients who don't have any underlying lung disease that they're aware of, who just at rest develop a pneumothorax and then begin the sort of investigations that may lead them either to stay in that group of primary spontaneous pneumothorax or then shift over into the second group of secondary spontaneous pneumothorax. With secondary spontaneous pneumothorax, it's usually the pneumothorax is caused by their underlying lung disease. So patients who have COPD emphysema, cystic fibrosis, they have some other underlying lung disease that would predispose them to then having a spontaneous pneumothorax. So really it's when you're thinking about spontaneous pneumothorax, is it primary or is it secondary? And that'll help to guide your, your further treatment decisions. Great. So seeing a patient, what would be your first steps into diagnostic testing and then subsequent treatment options? Right. As I'm sure most of the listeners can imagine that with a spontaneous pneumothorax, depending on its severity, the patient will call 911 or, or call your office, you know, saying that they're short of breath or having chest pain, and the recommendation is to go, you know, urgently to the emergency room to be evaluated. And so at that point, after getting vital signs, a chest X-ray is often the very first imaging test that they get, which will give us a sense as if it's a small or large pneumothorax that may require e emergent intervention, which in this case would be uh, inserting a chest tube or a pigtail catheter. After that, with re-expansion of the lung and stabilization of the patient, a CT scan you know, may be obtained as well to get a good sense as to how does the rest of the lung look. That can help to distinguish is a patient a primary spontaneous pneumothorax patient where the rest of the lung looks relatively normal, or are they more of a secondary spontaneous pneumothorax where there's underlying emphysematous changes, blebs, restrictive lung disease, or some other underlying um, lung disease. And so within the acute hospital stay, consultations usually happen fairly quickly to pulmonary medicine, thoracic surgery to help to, um, to address these issues. But certainly as the patient transitions as an outpatient, if you're a primary care physician who has a patient who had a spontaneous pneumothorax, it'd always be reasonable to 
you know, seek expert consultation either with a formal pulmonologist or certainly a thoracic surgeon that can help to uh, give recommendations along the way. Great. And when would surgery be most appropriate? Great question. So there's a lot of discussion about this, a lot of literature that's been published. And so in terms of consensus guidelines, there are some guidelines from uh, the, the CHEST group published back in 2001, which people still will refer to. In the setting of spontaneous primary pneumothorax, again, patients with normal underlying disease, most of the time we would recommend that the patient not undergo surgery after the first pneumothorax. Those patients are decently managed with a chest tube, lung expansion, removal of the chest tube, and then observation. In that case, up to the recurrence rate is between 10 and 30% of patients. So, you know, one in three will have a recurrence and usually the highest risk is within the first year. Things that will increase the risk of recurrence are smoking. Patients who smoke have more than a fourfold increased risk of recurrence. So getting patients to stop smoking is a, a cornerstone of the management of this disease. And the other thing that would increase the risk that some of the studies have shown is that if a patient is a female, they have a higher rate of recurrence. Now, all comers for primary, primary spontaneous pneumothoraces, it's mostly male patients, the vast majority. And so the, the few female patients who do get a spontaneous primary pneumothorax, that group is at higher risk for recurrence. So for the primary spontaneous pneumothorax patients, usually the first time it happens, you can do observation. The second time that it happens, you would strongly consider doing a minimally invasive surgical intervention, where in this case, it would involve chemical pleuridesis, so placing either doxycycline or talc or some other agent to help to facilitate pleural synthesis. And sometimes if there is a bleb or some abnormal part of the lung that's seen at surgery, removing that part of the lung as well as part of the surgical treatment of primary spontaneous pneumothorax. Now, to talk about the secondary spontaneous pneumothorax, so patients who have underlying lung disease, the, uh, the experts would, would recommend surgical intervention for patients who are safe to undergo surgery after that very first uh, incident or during that first hospital stay. The reason for that is those patients with underlying lung disease have a much higher rate of recurrence. So more than 50% of the time, these patients will have a recurrence of their pneumothorax. The second reason is the patients who have the underlying lung disease are in general much older than the primary group as well as their lung function is already diseased such that they're not going to compensate as well if they do have another pneumothorax, placing their life at higher risk from the just observation standpoint. So secondary spontaneous pneumothorax, we recommend considering that surgery during that first hospital stay, and it'll be just as I just described for the primary group, a minimally invasive surgery that allows um, the administration of chemicals to help to encourage pleuridesis and then also resection of any lung that seems safe and, and amenable to that. Right. And then what would you suggest as far as follow-up recommendations? In the group where surgery was not performed, there would be a very close interval follow-up after discharge from the hospital, somewhere between 7 and 14 days with some kind of repeat chest imaging, usually a chest x-ray, just to ensure that there is stability and there's no recurrence. At that point, after discussion with the patient and getting a sense as to their, you know, how they feel about the whole, uh, the whole situation, seeing them probably at some other short interval, somewhere between, you know, 
three to six months just to again make sure that things are stable and then it would be at the discretion of that primary care physician or the pulmonary uh, medicine doctor. Certainly if they had a chest tube placed here, our typical practice is to see them back at that seven to 14 day visit, you know, check on their chest tube incision site, make sure their x-ray looks good. And then just to, again, mention to the patient what surgery might involve, that way they have that information up front in case they do ultimately go down the road towards surgery. Now in the secondary spontaneous pneumothorax group, those are the patients who most likely underwent surgery and they also have underlying lung disease. So they may already be established with a pulmonary medicine specialist. And if not, you know, they would hopefully have been set up during their hospital stay. Thank you so much for uh, explaining all of this and providing your recommendations. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. Please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen at clevelandclinic.org slash cardiac consult podcast.